This is an Area Code podcast. Jack here. I wanted to say before we get rolling that today's episode is extra special. Not only are we talking about one of the giants of country music history, Sarah Carter, but we also have our very first artist-submitted cover to be featured on the podcast. Mama Molasses has submitted a gorgeous version of Single Girl, Married Girl, which you need to hear. It will run toward the end of the episode, just after we talk about Sarah Carter. You don't want to miss it. Welcome to Wildwood Flower, stories of women who built country music. I'm your host, Jack Peterson, a lifelong music fan and country music outsider, trying to embrace a genre I've always kept at a distance. The shy one, the spiritual one, the creative genius, the innovator, the iconoclast. Separately, they are brilliant, but they would never have made it on their own. Together they form a revolutionary, iconic group that forever changes popular music. We're not talking about the Beatles. We're not talking about the Wu-Tang Clan. We're talking about the Carter family. Reading through different accounts of the Carter family and listening through their songs, most for the first time, for me the individual personalities of the first family of country music drive their music and the mythos. Maybell is the quiet, diligent, spiritual artist, innovator. AP is the wandering, tremorous, sad, sensitive genius. Today we're talking about Sarah, the pragmatic, romantic, yearning, stylish, natural talent. I can imagine a family in 1930s Virginia sitting around a radio listening to the Carter family, a group they make a point to hear twice a day. And asking, are you more of a Sarah, an AP, or a Maybell? As a person might identify today with a Sex in the City character or a Hogwarts house. It didn't happen this way. The radio public didn't have access to the nuances of the Carter family personal lives at the time. It was all left to the imagination. It was all sound constructed myth. As much as has been written and said about the Carter family, and as much as the facts have been verified, the lives of these three people maintain mythical elements, truths as mysterious as the deep woods and hollows of Appalachian, Virginia. The romance of A.P. from Poor Valley and Sarah from Rich Valley, the all-watching eyes of the close-knit family, forbidden romance in the shadow of Clinch Mountain, outrageous radio personalities in the South Texas desert where metal braces of kids' teeth pick up illegally strong signals, Sarah, regal and yearning through it all. Maybell, gracious and wise. AP, absent-mindedly wandering, loving, and suffering. There's much to tell, so we're spending back-to-back episodes on the Carter family. First, we'll look at Sarah. Next, we'll look at Maybell. These are just the first of many Carter family episodes to come. Both Sarah and Maybell will receive several episodes each, which I'll delineate chronologically, the first ones being up to 1941. Carter's sisters, daughters, and granddaughters will all get episodes as well in the future. Today, to start it all off, we'll get to talk about the first superstar of the podcast, Sarah Doherty Carter of Rich Valley in Macy Springs, Virginia. In 1914, A.P. Carter walked over Clinch Mountain in Macy Springs, Virginia to sell fruit trees. It took him days. 
As he crested the mountain, he heard a woman singing in a plaintive, striking voice. He hastened his step. The owner of the voice would later say, Aunt Susie had one of these tall, old-fashioned sewing machines, and I was standing beside it, and my auto harp was on top of it, and I was just kind of playing around with it. I remember I was singing Engine 143, an old song I learned as a little girl, and this fellow knocked on the door. I remember he just stood there while I sang, and then he said something like, Ma'am, that was mighty pretty playing and singing, and I sure would like you to play that over again for me. And so I did. Of course, that voice belonged to Sarah. The song is about an engine driver, Georgie, who tries to make up for lost time, and the train derails. He's badly injured. The doctor tells him that God might still save him. Georgie tells the doctor that he will proudly die for the engine that he loves. Here's the final stanza. The doctor said to Georgie, your life cannot be saved. Murdered up on a railroad and laid in a lonesome grave. His face was covered up with blood, his eyes you could not see. And the very last words for Georgie said was, dear my God to If we're still playing the game of which Carter family member are you, younger me would totally have been AP, falling in love with someone singing a bloody train wreck ballad. Today, I can't help but see this song as foreshadowing AP and Sarah's relationship. Maybe this is the beginning of a love story. Sarah Doherty, though, was not given to romance, at least not at this age. Shy, standoffish even, level-headed, stubborn, regal. She was not to be swept away by AP's affection. Her mother died when she was young, and then her father left, just wandered around. Sarah and her sister were taken in by her late mother's sister in an area known as Rich Valley. She had neighbors who taught her a bit about playing music. She says, I was about 10 or 12 when I got my first auto harp. I sold greeting cards to raise money and ordered it from the Sears Roebuck catalog for about 8 or $10. It was an 8-bar. Music was a part of her culture in Rich Valley, learning ballads and traditional tunes, hymns, and popular music from her family and neighbors. AP did eventually win Sarah over and convince her to marry. Sarah says, AP's main savior was his bass. I think he was the best. I never heard anybody who could sing bass like him. AP and Sarah were married in 1915, just before Sarah turned 17. By wagon, A.P. brought his bride and her few possessions over Clinch Mountain, from Rich Valley to Poor Valley. Their eldest daughter, Gladys, shares the details. Daddy was bringing her home with her harp, all her fancy crochet pieces, quilts, and a few dishes. And Aunt Nick had picked out twelve of her nicest pullets and a rooster and put them in a coop in the back of the wagon. They had about twenty miles of dirt roads to travel and had to cross many ruts and creeks. They would be settling down with their horse, a milk cow called Old Bryn, two good squirrel dogs named Top and Brownie, a 12-gauge shotgun, their chickens, a step stove, a table, four cane-bottom chairs, two iron beds, and a new dresser with a big mirror in it. The daughter of A.P.'s cousin, Elva, remembers the impression Sarah's arrival had on her mother. My mother always remembered the first time she saw Sarah. She was the most beautiful thing she ever saw. 
Mom was so struck with her beauty and how she dressed. She had a huge, wide-brimmed hat with a red rose on it. She had that long, dark hair and beautiful brown eyes. She was real young when AP brought her over the mountain. Sixteen. The house AP is building for Sarah is still unfinished. This seems to be a tendency with him. He was easily distracted, a dreamer, a wanderer. He built a gate but never built the fence. His daughter, Jeanette, recalls, Daddy would walk and walk and walk. He always seemed to be in deepest study, and he'd walk like that up and down the railroad tracks, always with his hands behind his back, in deep study. He was a surgeon. Sarah, on the other hand, was industrious and determined, and prideful. A neighbor, Clyde Gardner, says, I knowed her for taking a horse and dragging mining ties and everything else out of the mountain, run a grist mill, jack of all trades. She was grinding corn the day her third child, Joe, was born. Sarah required a neat house, fresh, clean linens, plumped pillows, and impeccable foods. Later, Joe would say, I know she believed in feeding her kids, but it was more than that. She'd have a vegetable salad with vinegar and oil dressing, and she would fix up vinegar and oil and add just this much sugar. She had a taste just like she had an ear for a song. She'd taste it, and it was perfect every time, every time the same. She did it all with apparent ease. No one would see her struggle. She wanted to look good all the time as well. Her hair always twined with mountain flowers. She always smelled of perfume. She knew who she ought to be and presented herself accordingly. Sarah, though tidy and precise, was neither prim nor proper. She did as she pleased, a liberated woman before there was a cultural concept of such a thing. Carter family biographers say she hunted and fished. She wore pants and smoked cigarettes. She danced if she wanted, even if her husband caviled. She cut her hair into a bob, even though that was unheard of for women in that region at the time. AP, as much as he caviled, adored Sarah. He just could not find the ability to tell her or show her. Still, there was music to bring them together, just as it had been when they first met. At a singing convention, Sarah performed in public for the first time, a song called The Wandering Boy. The crowd loved her. People gave her money just for singing. This got A.P. thinking. Later, A.P. borrowed his cousin's car with Sarah, which broke down 200 miles from home. With no money and no way back, Sarah and A.P. put on a concert at a local schoolhouse to raise enough money for the repairs. With no name recognition at all at this point, they raised enough for repairs, and then some. They were joined occasionally by Sarah's cousin, Maybell. Once, a school teacher in Macy Springs invited them to play for her class. After 75 years, a student could still remember the performance. It was the grandest thing there ever was, she says, Sarah and Maybell. Maybell was only six when Sarah married. They weren't close. But later, Maybell married A.P.'s brother, Eck, and she and Sarah became like sisters. They made music together, and they made easy company. Sarah finds security in Maybell's non-judgmental manner. This may be the first time that the orphaned Sarah married to a dreamer and wanderer, find security in another person. In July of 1927, A.P. hears of an opportunity to test out the Carter family's musical prowess outside of Macy's Springs and a chance to make a little money. In Bristol, Tennessee, Ralph Peer was offering $50 per recorded song. A.P. first convinces Sarah, who said, Aw, Shaw, ain't nobody gonna pay that much money to hear us sing. 
Then he convinces eight-month pregnant Maybell. Then he convinces Eck to let pregnant Maybell go and to lend him his car. In exchange, AP must weed Eck's cornfield. AP, Sarah, Gladys, and baby Joe, along with Maybell, pregnant with Helen, traveled the bruising rough road to Bristol. Here's Sarah recalling that event. Well, we went up there to Bristol, and Mr. Pierre, you know, he put an ad uh, in the Bristol paper for all talent to come up and try out. So, Maybell, AP, and I, we decided we'd go up. Of course, we didn't think anything about it. Just thought it more or less just a trip. For the first Pierre sessions, Sarah, just turned 29, sang lead on all four songs they recorded. Maybell played guitar. AP sang bass, but kept wandering away from the microphone. When Pierre asked him about it, he just said, I just bass in every once in a while. Here's one of the songs they recorded for that first session. My heart is sad and I'm in sorrow for the only one I love. When shall I see him? Oh, no, never till I meet him in heaven. Pierre remembered that day. He says, They wandered in, he's dressed in overalls, and the women are country women from way back there, calico clothes on. The children were poorly dressed. They were backwoods people, and they were not accustomed to being in town, you see. They didn't know what to do, but as soon as I heard Sarah's voice, that was it. You see, I had done this so many times that I was trained to watch for the one point. As soon as I heard her voice, why, I began to build around it, and the first recordings were on that basis. Sarah's voice was distinctively deep, beautiful, but for some reason the recording company pitched it up on the first sessions. Ralph Peer's son says, My father always said that what amazed him was they were good, but they didn't seem to know how good they were. One thing to keep in mind is that only about 5% of recorded music at this time featured women. Of that 5%, many of the women were background players in a family band. There were very few women taking lead in vocals or instrumentation around this time, in the same way that Sarah and Maybell were. The Carters returned home, having recorded six songs over two days. The second day of recording, AP missed a session, looking for a tire for their car, so it was just Sarah and Maybell. The family was happy to have the cash. AP weeded X Field, and they forgot about it. Maybell gives birth to Helen a month later. Living with AP was not easy for Sarah. AP was stubborn, with strong convictions and a temper. Legend has it that while pregnant with him, A.P.'s mother was picking apples when a lightning bolt hit the apple tree and A.P. was thus born with a tremor. He tremored in his hands and his voice. When he would get angry, his tremor would rise and gain speed. Sarah is said to never have lost her calm in the midst of A.P.'s anger. In 1928, Pierre and Victor released Single Girl, Married Girl. One of the sides cut the second day of recording when A.P. was off tending to his tire business. Single girl, single girl, she goes store and buy. Oh, she goes store and buy. 
Sarah didn't want to record the song for reasons that are left to speculation. Maybe the lyrics hit too close to home. Maybe they sounded like complaining, something uncharacteristic of Sarah's stoicism. Regardless, Sarah's performance, a lone voice without harmony, struck a chord with listeners, and the record took off, selling all over the South. And I know we made uh, <clears throat> Single Girl, Married Girl. And I didn't want to sing that song. I didn't like it. And I told Mr. Kerr, I said, I don't like that. I, I'd rather not sing that. Oh, he says, I want you to sing that. So I sang the single girl, sang it as a solo. And I don't remember how many we made. I, I mean, I don't know the titles of all of them. Anyway, Bury Me on the Weeping Willow was the first one. And I think we sang uh, Little Old Cabin by the Sea. And uh, so it wasn't long till they came out, you know, after he got back and got them recorded. And, and, uh, and uh, when we got uh, our first royalty, why the single girl, married girl, was the, had sold the most. The very one that I didn't want to sing had it sold the most. So you, like I say, there's some songs we sang that, that I like and some that I didn't like, but mostly the ones that, that uh, I didn't like seem like the ones sold the most. They started making some money through royalty checks. With what she was making, Sarah could afford more expensive clothes, better perfume, Blue Waltz was her preference, and nail polish. Peer wanted them to record more, this time in Camden, New Jersey, at the Victor Recording Studios. The deal that Peer made with the Carters also involved royalties in any song they could bring in that wasn't already copyrighted. This led AP on song-collecting excursions all around Virginia, which caused him to be gone from home much at the time. AP wasn't traveling alone. He befriended and enlisted a black musician named Leslie Riddle to help him in his song hunting. Riddle said, if I could hear you sing, I could sing it too. I was his tape recorder. He'd take me with him, and he'd get someone to sing the whole song. Then I'd get it and learn it to Sarah and Maybell. Riddle provided access to AP and to the repertoires of black musicians and congregations. We might be uncomfortable with this. I'm uncomfortable with this, since AP, due to Peer's coaching, would claim copyright on the songs the Carter family recorded so that Peer and the Carters could get the royalties. It's unlikely that these royalties found their way to the people from whom AP collected the song. It's also unclear how or if Leslie Riddle was compensated for his assistance. As Riddle tells it, there was a time when there was a tension between Leslie and AP when Leslie heard a song that he had taught AP on the radio being performed by the Carter family. He didn't know AP had taken it and recorded it. AP's doggedness and his partnership with Riddle gave the Carter family a repertoire of songs and styles that ranged in origin from the blues You can wash my jumper starts my overhaul Catch a train they call the cannonball buffalo English ballads 
gospel songs. I've got a home in that rock, don't you see, don't you see? I've got a home in that rock, don't you see? I've got a home in that rock, just beyond the mountain top. I'm the old rock of ages left for me. Songs from the Shape Note songbooks. Hold fast to the right, hold fast to the right, wherever your footsteps may roam. And forsake not the way of salvation, my boy, that you learn from your mother at home. And Pentecostal holiness songs. Death will to you then have come If the light has gone out in your soul Oh, just think how in death you would feel With the light growing dim in your soul Oh, how long it will be, oh, how still If the light has gone out in your soul Carters also began writing their own songs. Sarah wrote two songs for a 1930 recording session. Oh, dear mother, I've walked through for my country and for you, and I'm dying for the red, white, and blue. Oh, carry me back to old gladly put comfort over fame. She couldn't stand all the folderall. She could never feel comfortable on stage. Let's just cut some more records, she would say. Sarah began to back out of performances. A.P. had to get his sister Sylvia to fill in. Things were worsening between Sarah and A.P. at home. A.P. would go song collecting for weeks at a time without leaving Sarah and the three kids any money at all. To feed her family, Sarah resorted to dragging timber down from the mountains, which she would sell at the nearby Eastman Kodak Company. Of this time, their son Joe recalls, she'd be cutting down wood, pulling timbers out of the mountains, and Daddy out somewhere trying to learn a song. He never stopped to think what effect it might have on his family. 
AP may have loved Sarah, but for whatever reason, he couldn't and didn't show it. What's more, he became more lost in his own world, with apparently little regard for Sarah. One day, when Sarah returned home with the children, she found that a big cedar by the house was chopped down and cleared away because AP was going to plant a maple in its place. Jeanette remembers watching her mother as she sat down and wept on the porch. It was the only time she had seen her mother cry. Seventy-five years later, Jeanette would say, I've often thought about that. AP eventually found someone to help out around the house while he was gone, his friend Brown Thomas, who, as it turns out, ended up being not much help at all. When Brown was let go, AP enlists his cousin, Coy Bays. AP and Coy were strikingly different in manner and appearance. Compared to AP's reserve and oddness, Coy was fancier and loaded with confidence. Sarah noticed the difference. He was affectionate towards Sarah, and Sarah grew affectionate toward him. It was a feeling she couldn't control. She says, I loved him better than anything I ever set my eyes on. In the close-knit community of Mesa Springs, the romance between Coy and Sarah quickly became known. Not that Coy and Sarah did much to hide the affair. It didn't help that the two of them would ride together on Coy's motorcycle. AP soon found out and became enraged. He began to carry a gun, as did Coy. The parents had to step in. Reputations and lives had to be saved. The Bays family made the drastic decision to move with Coy across the country to New Mexico, eventually settling in California. After Coy leaves, Sarah too leaves Poor Valley, returning to her childhood home in Rich Valley. It wasn't shame or merely sadness that drove her away. AP became increasingly difficult to live with. She later would say in a court filing that AP would sometimes force her out of the house and threaten her with physical violence. She would also say that more than once he acted upon those threats. Sarah left and didn't take her kids with her. Jeanette, age nine at the time, never understood how her mother could have left her and Joe, who was six, and Gladys, who was 13. Sarah never apologized for abandoning them. When asked about it, she would merely declare her overpowering love for Coy, as if she was helpless in the matter. Still, AP would bring the kids over the mountain to see Sarah from time to time. Sarah wouldn't return the visit. Needless to say, this separation threatened the future of the band. Sarah refused to return to New Jersey for their next recording session. AP didn't know what to do. Ralph Peer had an idea. In May of 1933, Sarah received a letter from Ralph Peer's wife, Anita, who made a plea for Sarah to reconsider in light of the opportunity for her to make some money during such a hard time for the country. Remember, this was the Great Depression. A line from the letter read, Even if you never live together again, you could get together for professional purposes like movie stars do. The petition works, and Sarah begins spending more time in Macy Springs for practice, staying with Maybell and Eck. In June, they make the session in New Jersey, recording 16 songs, including the immortal Will a Circle Be Unbroken, which Victor would not release, and the classic Gold Watch and Chain. I have nothing to cheer my poor heart This old world would seem sad love without you Tell me now that we're never to part Oh, I'll pawn you my gold watch and chain, love, and I'll 
pawn you my gold diamond ring. I will pawn you this heart in my bosom. On my say that you love me again. Sales began to dwindle, though they noticed that Pierre still seemed to be doing all right. Pierre left Victor and took the Carters with him to his new venture, American Recording Company. In the move, Pierre lessened the amount of royalties awarded to the Carters. Maybell and Sarah began to show discontentment. AP remained loyal to Pierre. Maybell would later say, Mr. Pierre made us famous and we made him rich. The following year's sessions contain some of my favorites of the Carter family songs, including Are You Tired of Me, My Darling? Tell me, could you live life over? Could you make it otherwise? Are you tired of me, my darling? Answer only with your eyes. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a building. I'm working on a building for my Lord, for my Lord. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building. It's a Holy Ghost building for my Lord, for my Lord. And no hiding place down here. Sister Mary wears the golden chain, there's every link in Jesus' name, there's no hiding place down here. There's no hiding place down here. There's no hiding place down here. Well, I run to the rocks to hide my face, the rocks cried out, no hiding place, there's no hiding place down here. Still, the move away from Victor did cause an increase in cash flow. In 1935, the Carter family recorded 40 sides for Decca at $75 per side each. Many of the sides re-recordings of some of the biggest Victor hits, like Keep on the Sunny Side, Wildwood Flower, and Single Girl, Married Girl. In 1935, they also re-recorded Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Lord, I told thee, Undertaker, Undertaker, please drive slow For this body you are hauling Lord, I hate to see her go Can the circle be unbroken By and by, Lord, by and by There's a bitter home awaiting in the sky The Carters were surviving the Great Depression financially, but in 1936, Sarah was nearly 40 and alone. Sarah, despite her isolation, or because of it, became more regal in composure and appearance. She maintained soft-looking hands with rings and bright red nail polish, unlike the working hands of the other women in Macy's Springs. Coy, always on her mind, sent her letters at first, but the letters stopped. Soon, it had been months with no word from Coy. In 1936, Sarah sees no way to stay married to A.P., and she files for divorce. A.P., after showing initial resistance, did not contest the divorce. In fact, he did not even acknowledge it. The divorce decree reads, The defendant had failed to demur to, plead to, or answer said bill. 
AP was awarded custody of the children. As much as the divorce divided the family domestically, it only strengthened the financial incentive to keep the Carter family recording music. AP was to buy a farm from Sarah at $1,200, and Sarah was awarded half of AP's royalty payments until the farm was paid off. In 1936 and 1937, the Carter family records nearly 60 songs for Decca, including Hello Stranger and No Depression in Heaven. Hearts of men are failing, for these are latter days we know. The Great Depression now is spreading. God's words declared it would be so. I'm going where there's no depression to the lovely land that's free from care. I'll leave this world of toil and trouble. My home's in heaven, I'm going there. Despite the divorce, or because of it, the Carters never sounded better. Estación XCT, Monterrey, Nuevo León. In other words, this is Station XCT, Monterey, down Mexico way. Now here's that well-known and better-loved family of radio, the Carter family. In fall of 1938, the Carters were invited to join the XERA radio station programming in Del Rio, Texas, headed by notorious huckster John R. Brinkley. They would be offered $75 each week with six months of paid vacation to perform two radio stations a day, morning and evening. Sarah, again, was attracted to the idea of a steady income during hard times. No live audience, no Ralph Peer, wide open space. Jeanette and Joe were left behind to live with Ma Carter. Gladys, the oldest, was married and had a newborn, Flo, making Sarah a grandmother for the first time. The fresh start would be good for Sarah. Still, she held a sadness. Sarah wrote a song around this time that was unrecorded. Here are the lyrics. When shadows fall, I'm lonely, for dear, you are far away. Though miles between us are endless, I love you is all I can say. I'm alone in this world and so lonely, I miss you wherever I roam. It seems, my dear, you've forgotten, I'm alone in this world, I'm alone. You've broken your vows and your promise, I've waited so long and in tears. Please say you mean to return, dear, the days now have turned into years. Life in Del Rio was fine. Twice a day, the Carters would cross the border into Mexico to record their program. The station was in Mexico as a way to skirt the U.S. limits on radio station watts. XERA, operating at 500 kilowatts, a border blaster, was billed as the world's most powerful radio station. The Carter family music was reaching nearly all of the U.S. and some of Canada. A young Johnny Cash was listening in Arkansas. Of course, the Carter children were listening in Virginia. Sarah, aware of the station's reach and feeling more alone than ever, took a bold step. In February 1939, without AP or Maybell's foreknowledge, Sarah stepped to the microphone in the radio station and announced that she was dedicating the next song to Coy Bays in California and led into I'm Thinking Tonight of My Blue Eyes. It would've been better for us both had been ever in this wide and wicked world that never missed. For the pleasures we both seen together, 
I am sure love I'll never forget. Oh, I'm thinking tonight of my blue eyes, who is sailing far over the sea. Oh, I'm thinking tonight of my blue eyes, and I wonder if he ever thinks of me. It had been six years since Coy had left Poor Valley. Though there were opportunities, Coy never married or showed much interest in women at this time. Coy stopped talking about Sarah, like he once had, because the letters stopped coming. It wasn't because Sarah wasn't writing. It was because Coy's mother was intercepting the letters and destroying them. Of course, the bays were listening that day. Everyone was. Stella, Coy's sister, remembers that broadcast. She says, Sarah dedicated a song on the radio. I think he said, Mom, I'm going to go get Sarah. Mama says, Well, Coy, I guess you better go get her. Coy indeed went and got her. He and Sarah were married immediately, February 20th, in 1939, in Brackettsville. The affection that Sarah received from Coy was drastically different from AP. Coy's sister Stella, again, says, This was not a fling thing. It was not just an affair. It was deep love. If she sat on the couch, he sat down with her. And they would talk. They loved one another. It just showed. It was hard for A.P. to have Coy and Sarah, newly wed with obvious love, in the same town. Joe would say he had no zeal. It seemed like after that he was lost. The announcer for the program, Harry Steele, says of A.P., He became nervous and ill at ease after Sarah's marriage to her second husband, and the agency for which we worked decided he was transmitting his mood unwittingly over the air. They sent A.P. home a month early, leaving Sarah and Maybell to do all the work. Maybell and Sarah finished up their obligations, and both would still record with A.P. as the Carter family in 1940 and 1941. After this, Maybell incorporates her daughters into the act and continues to tour and record. A.P. retires from music to establish a general store in Mesa Springs. Sarah had found security outside of making music with A.P. and finally was with the man she loved without stigma or judgment. She retires and moves to California with Coy. As much is packed into this episode, it is only one slice of the beginning of the story of the Carter family. We'll look closely at Maybell's life during this time in our next episode, and we'll reconnect with Sarah, Maybell, and the rest of the Carter women as we move into the 40s, 50s, 60s, and eventually 70s. And now, as promised, straight out of Bristol, Tennessee, the birthplace of country music itself, here is Mama Molasses covering Single Girl, Married Girl. Single girl, the single girl 
gorgeous. Big thanks to Mama Molasses for that submission. Go follow Mama Molasses on social media to hear more. You can follow Mama Molasses on Instagram at Mama Molasses, and Mama is spelled M-O-M-M-A, and Molasses spelled M-O-L-A-S-S-E-S. You could also go to MamaMolasses.org for more information, or on Facebook at Mama Molasses. Mama Molasses also has an excellent 2021 single, C-A-R, and lots more music out there for you to enjoy. I've put all these links in the show description as well. If you too want to submit a cover to be featured on the podcast, please get in touch with me on Instagram at wildwoodflowerpod or through email at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail.com. I want to say, if you're listening back to previous episodes and are inspired to cover a song for which the deadline has already passed, don't be deterred. Still be in touch with me. As this thing evolves, I would love to have a special covers episode that could air in between regular episodes featuring artists that we've already done podcasts on but nobody has covered. You don't even really have to be promoting your music. Just if you feel inspired and want to share, I would love to hear your songs. Ways to support Mama Molasses, Women in Music, and me are in the show description, along with references and a song list for today's episode. Next episode, who else but Maybell Carter. Thanks for listening to Wildwood Flower.